Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with thanksgiving. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. As we begin our service, let us ask God's blessing in silence. help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be granted unto you from God the Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, by the operation of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us lift our voices in song. We open the Psalter to 187. Psalm 69. Let's sing together the four stanzas, all four of 187.
with the Church of Jesus Christ throughout the ages and throughout the whole world, let us confess our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We now turn to number 208. We'll sing together the four stanzas, all four of 208.
let us join our hearts and worship the Lord in prayer. Our merciful God and our Heavenly Father, with reverence and with awe, we draw near. With awe that we can and we may draw near to Thee, the Holy One, and as it were, enter the most holy place. And this we can and we may do through Jesus Christ, who is the new and living way behind the veil. He who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we reverence Thee, and we praise Thee, and we thank Thee with joyful hearts. For the great love wherewith Thou hast loved us, poor and unworthy sinners, and saw fit to bring glory to Thy name through the marvelous work of redemption and the display of Thy divine love, grace, and mercy of singular glory in the gift of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, who humbled Himself to the lowest and gave Himself as the Lamb to be the propitiation for our sins, that we might be lifted from the dust, lifted to the highest height, and be brought into that blessed bond, that wonderful relationship called thy covenant, and be thy friends and servants in that relationship of love, that we might again by thy grace be empowered to serve thee as we ought, and to render unto thee hearty affection and love, to put our hands and our hearts to a life that is renewed of fruitful labor unto thee, and this for thy glory. All of this we give thee the credit for, and we thank thee that thou hast redeemed us by grace, and that by grace thou hast refashioned us, that we might be the workmanship of that grace, created anew in Christ Jesus unto new life, Give us, Father, hearts that are thrilled by the gospel of Christ. Hearts that are comforted by the fullness of His forgiveness for all of our sins. And may that gospel prompt us and spur us on to live a life of holiness. May we delight in those things that Thou dost find delightful. May we begin, indeed, that real beginning of new obedience. May more and more be the motto of our Christian lives. May we not give ourselves to spiritual stagnancy, but seek vibrancy in our covenant life with Thee. For Thou hast created us and redeemed us for thyself and for thy glory, and in this thou art glorified, that thou dost take the dead and make them live. Continue to work in our hearts daily by thy Spirit who sanctifies. Grant that through his operation, 
our hearts and our lives may be a garden in which the fruits of the Spirit are born. And may we taste the sweetness of those fruits which are profitable unto us. And may we also bring forth those fruits such that they are profitable to others. So that as we live as Christians in the midst of this world, we may shine as a light. And may also support, build up one another as fellow pilgrims heading towards the same destination, the house of the Lord forevermore. We thank Thee that Thou hast gathered us as a congregation. We thank Thee for the members Thou hast given in this congregation, different families, different members, different backgrounds, different struggles, different gifts. And yet Thou art pleased to bring many different people together and make them one. So that we are unified in the deepest and the richest sense. We are unified through our union with Christ our head. We are unified because the spirit of Christ our head dwells in him, the head, as well as us, his members. And what a wonder it is that in the midst of this deepest unity which thou dost give, a unity in Christ, a unity in faith, a unity in the spirit, that thou dost bring together the great diversity that exists among our members. And thou dost make that beautiful diversity serve and build up the well-being of the whole. Grant that we as a congregation may be a manifestation of the body of Christ, a healthy body in which every member is valued and every member's gifts employed for the upbuilding of the whole. Give us a spirit of brotherly charity and love one for another that our hands and our tongues might not be employed to one another's hurt but to one another's good. And may we each use our gifts and and all that thou hast given us for one another's advantage and salvation. We pray that thou wilt cause our congregation to grow spiritually. To that end, bless our life together, the organic life of our church. May it be rich, may it be marked by that service which Christ our Lord modeled for us when he washed his disciples' feet, leaving for us an example that we should do likewise for one another. We pray that thou wilt bless our congregation through the work of the office bearers thou hast called and placed in our midst. Give them much grace to be men who love Christ and love his people. Men who are meek like Christ was meek. Men who give of themselves as under-shepherds for the care of the flock. Bless our elders with all that they need and our deacons too for their important work. And we ask the same for our pastor as he goes in and out among us. Keep him in thy care and bless his faithful labors and give him all that he needs to bring us the word from this pulpit and in our homes and ministering by the bedside. We're mindful of those who grieve. Be with the Norman family. Bless and keep them. 
And even in the midst of sorrow, may their hearts be lifted up with the truth of the gospel, of the victory that we have in Jesus. That death is not the end, but is in fact the beginning of eternal glory. And that death has been conquered by Christ, our risen Savior. And that all things, death included, that must therefore be subservient to our salvation and to our loved one's salvation. We pray for other members of our congregation who may suffer for other reasons. Be with those who have been abandoned and whose life has that sorrow each day. Perhaps because a spouse has abandoned them or a friend or they have been hurt but deeply by a loved one. Be with those who fight against the deep sadness of depression or whose minds are vexed by anxiety and fears. Draw near to them and be unto them the good shepherd who calmed the stormy sea and who calms the storm within. We pray that thou wilt also bless our congregation with joys. That we may share the joys of the gospel and the joys of the Christian life together. Especially when the season in which we live is challenging, hard, many afflictions, many uncertainties, many things being shaken. May we rally together and look unto thee the God who is in control of all things. And whenever thou dost stretch out thy hand to chasten, may we see the token of thy love in it, that when thou dost afflict, it is for our profit, that we might learn and that we might grow and that we might be sanctified thereby. And that there may be yielded among us that peaceable fruit of righteousness. Keep our eyes and our hearts fixed upon Christ through all adversity. For he never leaves, never forsakes, and is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We pray not only for our own congregation, but our denomination of churches. Father, lead us. Lead us through the difficult season in which we are at present. Help us to learn and to grow. We pray that thou wilt use all hardships to turn us back to thy word, to focus upon thy word, to draw strength from thy word, to deepen our understanding of that word, and more and more to live out that word. May thy word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray that thou wilt continue to provide pastors and missionaries for our church so that the gospel may be brought from the pulpit and the gospel may be proclaimed on the mission field, so that thy church may be gathered. Bless the ministry of our churches and use it in whatever way thou art pleased for the advancement of thy kingdom. We pray for the organic life of our churches as well. May it be a life that is characterized by Christian love, one for another. We pray that thou wilt bless the movements and 
means of help that arise from the organic life of the church. Bless Haven of Mercy in their good work that they are doing. And Father, be with and care for and supply abundant measure of thy grace to all who have suffered the evil of abuse in whatever form that evil has taken. Father, may thy mercy flow like a mighty stream and may truth and righteousness prevail. Thou knowest the hurts of all of thy people, the wounds so many bear. Be the great physician who in perfect knowledge ministers to each of thy people, binding up the brokenhearted, ministering to the sick, recovering the lost, bringing out the prisoner. And may we all with steadfast hope look unto the day of the return of Christ, when evil at last will be done away with, when sin will be gone, when every last tear that has fallen will be wiped away, and we shall enter into the joy of our Lord. We pray for the church Catholic, acknowledging that we are but a small sliver of that universal body of Jesus Christ found throughout the world. We thank thee for the contacts and sister churches that thou hast given, a few other parts of that church Catholic that we get to know in a deeper way. And even as this evening we give for the support of the seminary in Germany, we pray that thou wilt bless our brothers and sisters in Germany, that thou wilt provide for their needs and bless their witness in their own land. Gather thy people there as thou wilt gather thy people in our own land and build up thy Catholic church throughout the world. We pray for the pardon of our sins, even as the hearing of thy word awakens in us a renewed sense of our sinfulness, may it also awaken in us a renewed sense of the comfort that is ours in Christ, so that seeing our sins we may flee to the cross and find that forgiveness there in the shadow of the cross, and with hearts full of gratitude, may we go forth to live for Christ, His honor, His glory, each day. And may our Sabbath rest today strengthen and refresh us for the week ahead, that we might bear whatever burdens Thou dost give us to bear, perform the work set before us cheerfully to the best of our ability, and serve Thee faithfully. Grant us all this, Father, not because we are worthy in ourselves, but for the sake of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. This time, we worship the Lord through the giving of our offerings. Two collections will be received. The first for Protestant Reformed Christian schools. Second for the Art Seminary.
Salter 402. We will sing stanzas 1, 2, 4, and 6. 1, 2, 4, and 6 of 402. Let us open the scriptures together to Psalm 37. In Holland Church, I recently began a series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So the sermon tonight is simply the most recent in that series. 
So our text tonight will be the third of Jesus' Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verse 5. But we're going to read Psalm 37. Our Lord was and is the Word made flesh, who came to fulfill the Scriptures, and so naturally Jesus' own teaching and preaching was steeped in the Old Testament Scriptures. And the third Beatitude that we look at tonight, we we see that very clearly, that Matthew 5, verse 5, draws upon the language of Psalm 37. So let's read Psalm 37 together before turning to Matthew 5. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for him, fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be, yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword, and have bent their bow, to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume, into smoke shall they consume away. The wicked borroweth, and payeth not again. But the righteous showeth mercy, and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment, and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever." But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. 
The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom, and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth, for the right, watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand, nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power, and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord, he is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them, because they trust in him. Now we turn to Matthew 5, verse 5, which will be our text. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the opening section of Jesus' well-known Sermon on the Mount is the section containing the Beatitudes, several statements where Jesus says, blessed are, and then lists certain characteristics of those who are the blessed. Undoubtedly, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture to us as it is very familiar throughout the Christian world and throughout the Christian church, and it is good that it is familiar. However, it is to be feared that often the Beatitudes do not receive the attention that they are due, nor do they impress themselves as deeply upon the Christian heart and mind as they ought. Jesus' Beatitudes, beginning the Sermon on the Mount, are not a collection of nice statements or a collection of statements with certain social implications merely, but they are the foundation of Jesus' entire Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' sermon about the kingdom of heaven, focusing particularly upon the citizens of the kingdom of, of heaven. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus focuses our attention on the kingdom of his grace. And really what the Beatitudes are, is they are a description of the grace-wrought character of the true Christian. And so the, the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that proclaims salvation by grace as clearly and powerfully as any sermon our Lord ever preached. He starts with what the Christian is by grace. You read through the Beatitudes and you quickly see this is not what we are by nature. This is not something that comes natural to man to be poor in spirit, to mourn for his sin, to be meek, to hunger and to thirst after righteousness. These are the features, the character traits of the regenerated child of God who is the workmanship of God's grace, the Christian who is now called to be what grace has made him to be, to exhibit in all of his life a character 
that is Christ-like. The Beatitudes are the contours of Christ-likeness. They are the essential traits and features of Christian character. What does a Christian look like? How does a Christian live? You could do no better than turn to Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, open up to Matthew 5 and read verses 1 through 11 and say, that's a Christian. That's what saving grace does when it takes hold of a dead sinner and changes him or her and conforms him or her into the image of Jesus Christ. Tonight, we're going to focus our attention on one of these essential character traits of a true Christian, one contour of Christ-likeness. And may the Spirit grant our hearts openness to this word that it may be a power, that it may be grafted into our hearts, that it may expose to us our sin for so easily we walk and live in a way that is not Christ-like. But may it be a word that also encourages us. This is what God's grace does in us. This is not setting before us what we must become by our own exertion and by our own labors. But this is setting forth who we are by grace. And now having been made a child of God and by grace given this character, let's live it. Let's be what grace makes us to be. And part of the Christian's character is that the Christian is meek. Blessed are the meek, Jesus says, for they shall inherit the earth. We'll take the first part of the the text as our theme, blessed are the meek. And we'll start by looking at the nature of meekness. We want to zoom in on this biblical idea of meekness and understand what it is. What it is that Jesus is talking about. This character trait of the Christian. And then from there we'll go on to the practice of meekness. Grace works meekness in us. And now our calling as a Christian is to live out that meekness. To be a meek people. What does that look like? How is meekness manifest in our lives. And then lastly, we'll look at the final part of the beatitude where Jesus gives a comforting word of promise that to his meek people, there is an inheritance. An amazing inheritance. Nothing less than the whole world. So let's begin by looking at meekness and discerning exactly what it is according to Scripture. We can define meekness this way. Meekness is a certain lowliness of heart which manifests itself in gentle and mild conduct, in a submissive spirit, and in a self-effacing manner of life. Meekness is a lowliness of heart which manifests itself in gentle, mild conduct, a submissive spirit, 
and a self-effacing or self-denying manner of life. Now that definition of meekness is borne out by the scriptures. When we look through the Bible, various passages shed light on the meaning of Jesus' term meekness here and help us see exactly what it is. And as we look through the Bible, we'll notice that the term meekness is very closely connected with lowliness and gentleness. Perhaps the foremost passage to turn to to understand what meekness is, is a passage that occurs a little later in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 11, verse 29, where Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Jesus says, As our incarnate Savior, I am meek and lowly in heart. There you see the connection of meekness with a a lowliness, a spiritual lowliness. Look at Jesus Christ. Look at his life. Look at his ministry. Look how he carried himself towards his people and the poor and the weak and the sinners with whom he interacted. And there you see what meekness looks like. Jesus, who was not harsh, who was not overbearing, who was not oppressive, but was the lowliest of all. Christ, who is the Son of God, to whom belongs all glory and power, and yet nonetheless he stooped down and took upon himself our humanity, clothed himself in our human nature, took upon himself our frame of dust and became one of us and in our flesh stooped to the lowest to wash us from our sins through the giving of himself on the tree of the cross. There is lowliness, meekness, the gentleness and mildness of his saving love. And immediately there you see, and we'll come back to this, that meekness is not weakness. There is nothing weak about Jesus' love or about Jesus' power that is brought to bear in his saving work. But he is a meek Savior, a lowly Savior. That lowliness, which is the heart of meekness, expresses itself as gentleness towards others. Thus the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1 says, I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And in Titus 3 verse 2, Paul exhorts his audience, speak evil of no man, be no brawlers, that is contentious, fighters, but rather gentle, showing All meekness unto all men. From this lowliness of heart comes a gentle bearing, a gentle way of dealing with other people, a gentleness. You can describe gentleness as love's studied carefulness in the exercise of kindness towards another person. Gentleness labors 
to avoid injury to another and to avoid offense. Gentleness is the carefulness of love as love pursues the true good of another person. That's meekness. And now we readily see that meekness is very closely connected with humility. In fact, so closely connected with humility that it's sometimes hard to distinguish them. But they are different. And part of the Bible's proof for that is the fact that Jesus devotes two Beatitudes, one to humility and one to meekness. In the first sermon on the Beatitudes that I, I preached in Holland, we focused on the, the first Beatitude, poverty of spirit. And that especially refers to humility. And Jesus puts that beatitude first because ultimately, humility is the foundational grace of the Christian life. Humility is the soil from which grows the other traits that we see in the opening verses of Matthew chapter 5. Without humility, a man will not mourn for his sin. Without humility, a man will not be meek. Without humility, a man will not hunger and thirst after righteousness because he thinks he is righteous. And lifts himself up before the face of God and over his neighbor. Humility, a poverty of spirit, comes first. To be poor in spirit is to have a deep humility that grips your inner man. So that you see yourself as you truly are in light of who God is. And when you see yourself as you truly are in light of who God truly is. You are humbled to the dust and you can do no other but acknowledge I am a spiritual beggar of myself. Empty, needy, powerless, destitute of all good. I am a creature of dust and especially this, I am a sinner. And thus from that poverty of spirit comes the true spiritual mourning that we read about in the second beatitude, which is a mourning, a sincere mourning over my sin and over the reality of evil itself. From the soil of humility grows the beautiful fruit of the Spirit, meekness. The humble, the humble are gentle and mild to their brother, their sister, their neighbor. The humble have a submissive spirit before the Lord. The humble live in a self-effacing rather than a self-aggrandizing manner. The humble are the meek. And so we see that meekness, meekness can only come from one place. That is true meekness. It only comes from the grace of God. And the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Meekness is not to be mistaken with a certain easygoing character that you might meet in the world. There are some people who simply have a more easygoing nature. But that's different than meekness. Meekness is a spiritual grace worked in us by the saving operation of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It is a fundamental feature of Christian character. It's the opposite of pride. It's the opposite of stubbornness. That doesn't mean that meekness is a lack of conviction. Of course not. Was there ever a man more convicted than Jesus Christ? 
Was there ever a man who, who more stood his ground for truth and righteousness than Jesus Christ? Of course there wasn't. And yet Jesus is the meek and mild Savior of his people. To be meek is not to be indecisive, double-minded, or unstable. To be meek is not to be a pushover or a doormat. To be meek does not mean that you never stand your ground on something or stand up for, what it's right, for what's right. To the contrary, the Christian, saved by grace, loves God's truth and loves God's righteousness and stands for those things. But as the meek stand their ground on God's word and stand for what is righteous and true, they are not puffed up in pride in the process as if they had made themselves to differ or as if they are better than others. But they remain humble and lowly of heart like their Savior. Again, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is inner strength of the highest caliber. Seeing what meekness is, we look back to Christ. That's that's where we want to end the first point. The Beatitudes are the essential characteristics of the Christian. But there are no characteristics of a Christian without the Christ, who is the source of them. The Beatitudes are the contours of Christ-likeness. And so as we study Jesus' words, blessed are the meek, those words ultimately carry us to look at him who is the perfectly meek one. Our meek king. Numbers 12 verse 3 says that Moses was meek above all the men that were upon the face of the earth. And yet Moses' meekness pales in comparison to the meekness of our Savior, the leader of the second and true exodus. Go through a few snapshots from the Gospels. Christ the King, at the onset of his Passion Week, going to war against the devil, against sin, against the powers of darkness, going to war, riding his steed into Jerusalem. And what does Matthew 21 verse 5 say of our King going to war? Behold, thy King cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass. And a colt, the foal of an ass. A meek king who goes to battle meekly. See the Savior in Gethsemane. That perfectly submissive spirit to the will of his Father. When he prays there in the garden, O my Father, if this cup may not pass from me except I drink it, thy will be done. See the meek Savior as he goes before the wicked judges of the church of his day and the wicked judge of the world power of that day, before the Sanhedrin and before Pilate. As it is prophesied and described by Isaiah in Isaiah 53 verse 7, 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Meek. See his meekness on the cross, where instead of taking vengeance or calling vengeance down upon those railing against him and his cruel crucifiers, instead the Lord Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See the meekness of the risen Lord outside the gate of the grave. When he comes to weeping Mary Magdalene and with one potent word so full of meaning simply says, Mary. That's our Savior. Meek. And it's through this meekness that Jesus saves Everyone in Jesus' day wanted someone who was not going to be a meek king. The Jews wanted a military ruler to kick out the Romans and establish a great kingdom there in Jerusalem with the sword. The disciples did not understand Jesus' meekness. That's why Peter drew his sword in Gethsemane. And yet, through meekness, Christ the King conquers Through suffering, he goes to glory. And through submission to his Father's will, and meekly yielding himself to his oppressor's hands, and to the enemies of God, and yielding himself up to be crucified and slain, Christ the King vanquished the old dragon, slew, death itself, and obtained for us eternal redemption. He is the meek one who is above all blessed, through whose meek work of salvation an inheritance has been won and earned. An inheritance which he shares with us, his people. Through meekness, Christ saved us. And now, our meek Savior, though He is at the right hand of God, exalted, He remains that Savior who is meek and lowly in heart. Our advocate at God's right hand. Think about that. When you call out to God and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Or you cry out to God desperately in your afflictions. Jesus, your intercessor and your advocate is there at God's right hand bringing those prayers to the Father for you, speaking for you on your, on, or for your behalf, speaking for you. And he is a meek advocate. He doesn't scorn those prayers. But he is gentle, kind, compassionate. The high priest who, though exalted, 
is yet touched with the feeling of your infirmities. The good shepherd, though he sits on the throne of the universe and holds the scepter in his hand, does not drive us like cattle, but with his rod and his staff, he comforts. The meek physician who came for the sick to heal them and for sinners to call them to repentance. That's our Savior. And so you see what encouragement the meekness of Christ is for us to come to Him. He says that in Matthew 11 verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. Who would come to a king who doesn't have the time of day for his subjects? Who would come to someone who is hard-hearted and uncaring, who has disdain for the sufferings of others? No one would come to such a person. But that's not Jesus. He says, I am meek and lowly of heart. There's none so receptive, none so approachable, none so understanding as Christ our Savior who saved us through meekness and in His meekness continues to tend to us, His people. Fear not to go to Him. Run to Him in every time of need. Depend upon Him. Cast your cares upon Him. Commit your way unto Him. You shall find in Him rest for your soul. No matter how great the trouble, the trial, the affliction, the wound is that you bear. Christ, there's rest. We've looked at meekness. And looking at meekness, our eyes have been directed to the meek one, our Savior Jesus Christ. But now we come back to meekness as the, great, the grace-wrought character trait of the true Christian. This is what grace is makes us to be. And that's exciting. Christian, it is your honor to be conformed to the image of Christ. Christian, it is your honor to be and to exhibit in your life what you read on the pages of Matthew 5. It is your honor to glorify God by living this way. By being Meek, like Christ, your Savior is meek. So here in the second point, we're going to look in two directions. We're first going to look at meekness in our relationship with God, so vertically. And then we'll turn our eyes to look at meekness in relationship to one another. We are to be meek before the face of God, and we are to be meek in our conduct towards one another another and towards our neighbor. So first and foundational, meekness. 
is to be the Christian's attitude towards God. Our way of life before his face. As his children. Redeemed by the blood of his only begotten son. What is our spiritual posture towards our God and Father? A big part of it is this. Meekness. And here the element of our definition that especially rises to the foreground is the idea of a submissive spirit. Meekness towards God is manifest by surrendering oneself to God and adopting a spirit of submission to his will. That word submission simply means to willingly place myself beneath. It's an act of love. And when we submit towards God, it's an act of faith. I know and I trust God. I know Him as the God of my salvation whose will for me is always good. And thus not only as a creature... But as a saved child of God, I willingly place myself underneath God and submit, put my will under His will. That's submission. And doesn't that go against the grain of our natures? By nature, we're the opposite of meek. By nature, we are self-willed creatures wishing to assert our own wills over others and over God. And self-will and pride go hand in hand. Pride says, I'm better than my neighbor. I'm something special, and therefore I have a right to assert my will over others, and I have a right to push others down because I am better. Meekness says the opposite. And that's not because meekness has an unhealthy despising of self. That's another mistake. Meekness is not weakness. And meekness is also not hating oneself in an unhealthy way. The Christian who knows his or her sinfulness does not despise oneself. Yes, we loathe our sinful nature. We loathe our sins. But our identity is rooted in Christ. We are new creatures in Him. We are the workmanship of His grace. And we find our sense of self-worth and value in Our relationship with Christ and who we are in Christ as a blood-bought son or daughter of the King. In fact, only the Christian can have genuine self-esteem. And genuine self-esteem is rooted in humility. Acknowledging who I am in relationship with God. And so meekness does not mean an unhealthy despising of self. So that I let myself simply be trampled upon by others. That I never stick up for what's right. That that's not the case. But the meek person says, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I have no right to lift myself up over him or her. Or over the will of God. 
And so I exert myself to mortify that selfishness that is within me and to intentionally place my will, my desires, my plans, my thinking about what is best and good and put it under the will of God. Jesus said in John 5 verse 30, I can of mine own self do nothing because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. And the Christian says, yes, and echoes those words. The meek heart of the Christian is a pliable heart. Grace takes that stony, hard, crusty heart and makes it pliable again in the potter's hand. And now because you and I are not inanimate objects and lumps of clay, but moral, rational creatures, the wonder of the Spirit's work in us is that He makes us clay that is willingly yielding to the potter's hand. Clay that says to the potter, put me on your wheel. Shape and mold me as thou wilt. And use all things in my life, times of prosperity as well as times of adversity, to shape me with your fatherly hands because I know my God. And whenever he puts his hands to me, it is for my eternal good. And so I want not my will, but his will. And so I'm going to pray day by day, Father, give me the grace to submit to and to embrace your will, which is only good. A spirit of humble submission to the will of God. That will show itself also in a soft-hearted receptiveness to God's word. Listen to what James 1.21 says. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Sometimes in our prayers we'll use expressions such as Grant that thy word may have ready entrance into our hearts. Or we pray that God would have our hearts prepared like soil to receive the seed of the word. Well, what is the prepared soil of the heart? Here's part of it. A meek heart. If we harbor pride in our hearts, it makes our hearts hard and crusty again. It's a resistance to the word of God. But meekness makes the heart soft as soil well prepared to receive the word of God. Lastly, in terms of this vertical dimension of meekness, meekness is put into practice towards God by patient endurance of adversity and trustful dependence upon him. Really, this flows out of that spirit of submission to the will of God. The meek say with Job, in Job 2 verse 10, Shall we not receive good at the hand of God, and shall 
we not receive evil? Job's point is both are going to come from God's fatherly hand. Job goes on to say in the next chapter, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Those are profound words. Words that can only come from the meek heart of faith. The child of God who holds fast to that foundational truth that God is good and that God is for me and therefore nothing can be against me. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Because even when his strokes are the heaviest upon me, I know him. He is working out my salvation. He is sanctifying me. He is forming me. And even when the good of it is hidden from my eyes and I don't understand his way with me because it doesn't make sense, I trust. I trust. And whenever my faith wavers, and how often our faith wavers, we are weak creatures of the dust. And God knows that. Psalm 103, we're comforted by that truth that God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Meaning, He doesn't disdain our weakness. He's not rough with us, but He understands our human frailty and has compassion. But when we wrestle with those doubts, we struggle in those deep places. Look back to Christ. Never will God slay his child in adversity. For Christ was slain for you. He bore your sins on the tree of the cross. And because Christ was slain for you, all things must be subservient. All things must submit to your eternal good. Thus the Christian says meekly, I yield myself to my God, to the potter's hands, because I know He is working good for me. Whether I see it now or not, I know. And the proof is Christ, my Savior. Well, now secondly, meekness should manifest itself horizontally. The Christian is one who is meek before his God. And that meekness before God translates into meekness in his whole demeanor and in all of his behavior toward and among his fellow men. So the question is, what does meekness put into practice on the horizontal level, look like? And to start very generally, we go back to the definition, and meekness looks like this. It's being gentle with other people. Being mild in your actions and in your reactions. If you're meek, you don't think too highly of yourself, and you don't think too lowly of your neighbor. 
You see yourself as you are in light of who God is. And that produces a spirit of gentleness. You bear patiently with the faults of your brother, of your sister, because you know how patiently God bears with your own. You bear patiently with that insult or that injury, holding back the vengeful spirit that so easily is kindled in our hearts. Because the meek know that evil is never overcome by more evil, but evil is overcome by good, by good. When you're meek, you're not quickly provoked or overly defensive. The meek don't go nuclear as soon as someone questions them or challenges them. But the meek have an inner calmness rooted in their understanding of who they are in relationship to God. The meek don't just talk the talk of humility, but they walk the walk of humility with their fellow men. And now, apply that to the various stations and callings that we have in our lives. If meekness is a character trait fashioned by grace, that means that we are to be meek all the time, in all places, and towards all men. Titus 3.2 basically says that when he exhorts his audience to be show meekness unto all men. Your character is who you are. It's not something that you turn on and off like a light switch. It's who you are. And who you are should determine how you live. Are you married? Here's an essential ingredient how you relate to your spouse. Meekness. A gentle spirit loves studied carefulness to do my utmost to, in, to avoid injury or offense. That meekness is a relational superglue and one of the best fire extinguishers you can ever have in a relationship. Keep it close. Use it. Are you a parent? As God calls you to raise your children, the awesome calling of a parent is to model the character of Christ. Be a meek parent. Of course, that doesn't take away from the, the firmness that is necessary in parenthood. Firmness about what is right. Firmness about the rules of the house. Firmness in discipline. But firmness is not harshness. Sometimes we talk about tough love. But we must be very careful that when we talk about tough love, we don't use that as an excuse for rough, harsh love, which really isn't love. True love Balances proper firmness with gentleness. And parents, as we raise our children, let that be our concerted effort to model the meekness of Christ. And that is important for their spiritual development. That they learn, partly through you, what compassion is. 
what gentleness is, what kindness is, what sympathy is. Members of the church, one to another, are we meek? Are we meek towards each other? Let it be, let it be. When conflicts arise with another member, are our tongues like swords quickly drawn and swung around? Do we quickly draw our bow and empty our quiver of bitter words? Or is there a meekness that restrains that fiery impulse and contemplates what God has done for me, sinner that I am. And now I'm going to go to that brother or that sister with whom I have a rub, with whom I have a conflict, and I'm going to work through it with them meekly. I'm going to address sin. Meekness doesn't mean you smooth everything over. But what's our manner? What's our demeanor? How do we conduct ourselves? Do we approach one another with a gentleness and a studied carefulness of love? That's meekness. The meekness we are to have in our dealings with one another. And that meekness then shows itself also in a submissive spirit towards one another. It's very interesting that in Ephesians 5, verse 21, the Apostle Paul, before he even gets to discussing in detail the, the callings of husband and wife in marriage, the Apostle Paul says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submission is a, universal, a universally Christian virtue. We are all called to mutual submission unto one another. That's what it is to be meek. The world says to get somewhere, you've got to climb up to the top. And that means pushing others down beneath you or pushing others out of the way. The logic of the gospel is entirely the opposite. That true flourishing and strong relationships come when there is mutual submission among ourselves. Not my way or the highway. but a willingness to deny myself for my brother, for my sister, for my spouse, for my child, for my neighbor. The meek exert themselves to throw away that notion that exists in our human nature that I am the center of the world and instead conscientiously strives to be God-centered, and if we're God-centered, we will be other-focused. And We'll make John the Baptist's words the theme of our life. He must increase, I must decrease. I'll be willing to submit my will and deny myself for another's good. When that happens in a family, when that happens in a congregation, what beautiful fruit springs from that soil. Well, finally tonight, 
Jesus gives a beautiful promise at the end of this beatitude, the inheritance of the meek, and he proclaims that the meek are blessed because theirs is an inheritance unlike any other. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And there he draws from the language of Psalm 37. The meek shall inherit the earth. The meek have an inheritance. And that brings us right back to the gospel of salvation by grace, inheritance. That's not something that anyone acquires by their own efforts or merits. But an inheritance is a free gift given from a parent to their child. This is the inheritance of the saved child of God who by grace has been fashioned according to the image of Christ who is meek. To his meek children, God gives an inheritance. We have a portion of that inheritance because, as Romans 8 verse 17 says, we are joint heirs with Christ, who is the meek one, whose work merited and obtained this inheritance. And it's striking. What is this inheritance? Jesus says, the meek shall inherit the earth. The earth. Creation. The whole world. It's the inheritance of the meek. Jesus uses in this text the future tense. They shall inherit the earth. And so he's focusing our attention on the good that is in store. Psalm 37, one of the themes of that psalm is the seeming prosperity and triumph of the proud, wicked here and now. And what this beatitude shows us is the complete overturning of human expectations. The wisdom of the world, the wisdom of our flesh, the common thinking of our day is the proud, the powerful, those who push and shove and climb to the top, they are the ones that win. They are the ones that get somewhere. Theirs is the world. And Jesus says no. The only ones who are truly successful and truly flourish and truly have blessedness now and in the age to come are the meek. Though they may suffer now, they are the heirs of the world. The wisdom of the world, human expectations, Really, all of the Beatitudes do this. Jesus completely overturns them. Even as he sets upon the pedestal that trait of grace which is so different than what the world values. Meekness. But which is so precious and pleasing in the sight of God. And that serves as an encouragement and a comfort and an incentive to us people of God. Don't heed the wisdom of the world or the whisperings of the sinful flesh which say adopt the ways of the world. Adopt the mannerisms of the world. Be proud. Be loud. Be self-assertive. Push others out of the way. Get what you want. That leads to ruin. But 
contrary to human wisdom and expectations. The meek, the Christ-like meek, will inherit the world. They'll inherit all of the blessings of salvation pictured by Canaan. They'll inherit the heavenly Canaan. They'll inherit the renewed creation because as Romans 8 verse 21 says, the creature itself shall be delivered by, or delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The day of Christ, when all things are made new, the creation itself will be the setting of life everlasting for the people of God and the meek. The meek shall inherit the earth. As Psalm 37 verse 11 says, the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. We have a foretaste of that already now as we live in God's covenant as citizens of the kingdom. May this word spur us on, people of God. Be meek. Meek before God and men. Looking forward to the inheritance of grace stored up for us. Amen. Faithful God and Father, we thank Thee for this word, for its rich instruction. Work in our hearts by Thy grace to make us a people who are meek. Meek before Thee, meek in our relationships and conduct towards one another. And may that Christ-like meekness be like a mirror that reflects the glory and the beauty of our Savior, for whom we are eternally grateful, to whom we owe all things. Hear us for his sake. Amen. Let us conclude our service tonight singing from Psalter 96. 96. Versification of a portion of Psalm 37. We'll sing stanza 1 and 3. 1 and 3 of 96.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.